1: Everyone and welcome back to the Phineas Club, the wonderful show, uh, hopefully wonderful, where we talk about things that happen in the world with people who actually are from around the world and live in different places. So uh, we try to give you different opinions and uh, backgrounds and cultures, and uh, the way we look at things might be uh, different from the way other people look at things, and that's how we try to uh, get across in this show. My name is Patrick Beja. I am actually French, but I actually live in Finland. So already there, you're, you'll see that there's a little bit of something that gets, uh, that insinuates itself in the show because of my location. I'm very glad to be welcoming back to the show, Matthias from Germany. How's it going? And do you have COVID
2: yet? I don't have COVID yet, and this is actually an anniversary episode, because today marks the one-year anniversary that COVID was first diagnosed in Germany. Yay! Uh, Yay! And, And you know, it's, well, we're
1: in January, so it was about a month later that I had to cancel my flight to Japan from the airport uh, after having passed security and back then it seemed like a really important thing and we're like oh my god we're not going to be able to go to Japan that's the worst thing that COVID ever did uh, and of course since then things have uh, changed a little close. bit <laughs> <Good work. laughs> I, I'm also very glad to be welcoming a first timer on the show um, Kim is joining us from Egypt how's it going Kim?
0: i'm doing well how are you all
1: listen given everything i will say we're, i'm personally i'm doing okay and Matias, you were you sounded jovial so i'm gonna assume you're uh, doing okay I,
2: the way i <laughs> pretend so for the appearance sake you know
0: <laughs> well, and we'll take it as a win
2: exactly how
1: how are you doing uh can you tell us a little bit about yourself for the for the listeners so they have a bit of context uh about you kim
0: yeah i i will thanks a lot i'm kim fox i currently live and work in cairo egypt where i've been living since 2009 but i'm american and i grew up in the u.s specifically in ohio and more specifically in akron ohio home of lebron james and others of (laughs) course (laughs) and I teach audio production and journalism courses at the American University in Cairo and and do some podcasting as well.
1: So that's really interesting. I I kind of want to dive into the state of podcasting in Cairo Cairo because it's not necessarily... I've been doing podcasting for like 15 years, and it's not usually the thing I think of when I think of, you know, countries that... I almost said developing countries, but I read Factfulness, so I should know better. Um, but it's not the first thing I think of when I, when I think of those countries. But it should be, because it's such an affordable technology to uh, become a media and to give anyone a voice. It, it should be something that is pretty uh, popular in any country. Is, it, like, is there a vibrant podcasting scene in Egypt?
0: I wouldn't call it vibrant, but there is certainly a community of podcasters in Egypt, and it is based on what you just said, the low barrier to entry in terms of equipment. It's kind of like, you know, you have this voice, you have something to say, something to talk about, and yeah, you can certainly pull off doing a podcast, and and people have access to, you know, the internet or the mobile device. Some people are doing their podcast on Anchor, Mm. but others are using Others are using studios. Uh, so we're getting we're trying to encourage more podcasts in Arabic because there seems to be a deficit in quality Arabic podcast. Uh, so we're seeing an uptick in, in those. And so, yeah, in trying to do training for people who are interested, but don't know exactly what to do. That's just kind of a, a real basic uh idea of where things are right now.
1: Mm -hmm. I wonder, it leads me to another question, and it's a question I always ask uh, when I get people from a a country I'm not very familiar with. uh, What's the state of the internet in Egypt? Like, do people have reliable broadband connections? Do they all have smartphones? Um, What's the average, I would say, internet usage in the country?
0: Yeah, I think those are two different things when you talk about mobile penetration, which is extremely high, as opposed to internet, which varies depending on where you are. Uh, I think the rate of mobile devices, it's like, generally speaking, a lot of people have two. Mm. Uh, um, and some of, them, some of them might be smartphones, some of them might be what, I, what we call like a, a throwaway phone, a tossaway phone, like an old Nokia or something like that. So the mobile device penetration is pretty high. But internet quality varies depending on where you are. Uh, I don't I don't know that I would call it broadband, but I mean, I do remote teaching and on most days it's fine. It just, you know, it just kind of wavers, but you're, you're kind of, we're getting that almost everywhere, right? Where the internet seems like it's your friend and then the most when you need it, it, it goes away.
1: I mean, in Finland, it's very reliable, but I think we're a little bit privileged here. Um, but so you can do remote teaching and it's enough for... Uh, you know, video calls and, and stuff like that with the people who are part of your uh, courses?
0: Again, it's going to be, you know, varied depending on like some of the students won't turn on their cameras or they'll admittedly have a bad connection or something that we can visually see or or hear that their connection is is not the best, uh, just depending on where they live. For But I usually use video when I'm teaching. Uh, but if i'm not presenting or something i try to save that bandwidth and and remove mm-hmm. the video you know like i could turn it on now uh, but it might or it might not you know disturb the quality of of our connection
1: okay but so- but
0: for the most part internet my internet and i live in the city i i think it's 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 okay it could be better for sure i complain about it and try and upgrade it as often as i can but when we were on campus the campus internet was pretty consistently strong
1: okay yeah i guess i can see uh how it would work in those you know it's it's maybe a few a couple of decades uh when we were where we were a couple of decades ago um and and i can see how you know lower broadband requirements activities like podcasting which is just audio you you download and you're done would be popular so hopefully there's um you know that that continues to evolve
0: yeah, we're, we're trying to figure out, you know, you have your con- content creators and, you know, if it's a, the equation of if you build it, will they come? Like if you produce this podcast, will people actually listen? And I think that's where the the bigger barrier is uh, at this moment in Egypt is where are you finding your listeners? How are we introducing people to podcasts so they know what it is, how to get it, how to listen to it? And, and those kinds of uh, educational opportunities that come with introducing a larger population to podcasting.
1: Okay, last question, a little bit more frivolous. Uh, I I would guess that everyone is on TikTok, the the youths if brought, you know if the internet quality uh permits and I guess that is kind of giving us a, an image of of where the country stands in internet connection wise. Are people using TikTok? Is it the 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 explosion in popularity that it is in in other countries or Does it not work as well there?
0: Well, first of all, I'll admit that I am not using TikTok. Obviously, I'm aware (laughs) of it. I mean, I teach social media and all these other things, but I've been reluctant to get on it for other reasons. But uh, I don't know if you probably haven't heard since you asked me this question. There have been several young women who have been arrested and detained for their TikTok videos. Uh, Egyptian women, I should say, uh, more specifically. And I believe one of them, I mean, there are so many cases I've lost track of them and, Mm. and these women aren't doing anything lewd. They maybe have on fewer clothes, you know, maybe they're showing a little bit too much skin, but for most people, it's just like, you know, a little cleavage is, is nothing. Right. Yeah. So it, it it really is it really is the patriarchy it's the trying to uphold what they call quote unquote traditional standards morality and things like that and and it's a double standard that we've seen men who have been accused or alleged to have committed gang rapes and they get out on bond whereas these younger let's say from a lower class setting egyptian women you know will get detained for for promoting or producing a bit of a racy TikTok video. When I say racy, again, I mean, maybe she's voluptuous and showing some cleavage.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I guess this can also be, we've seen these things happen in other areas as well. It can be kind of a, I mean, obviously there's repression, but it can also be an in- instrument for social change by bringing this to the forefront. And, and over, I guess, you know, many years, pushing the boundaries and making it, uh, evolve. I, I, I may be speculating a little bit, but
0: yeah. No, I, I definitely see your point. We have seen over the, the past summer, there, there were some issues with this, this gang rape I mentioned and some other, uh, sexual allegations and misconduct and assault that were tackled first on social media, specifically Instagram. Where there was this young woman, she's a student at my university, she decided that she wanted to do something about these these cases that she had heard of, and she took to her Instagram and started to out them. She just started to call people out with photos, and you know like she's doing this sort of investigative work and you it mean really people she brought- actually
1: knew, like the people she actually knew in the university
0: well, she knew she knew the one guy who was mm. accused of sexually assaulting countless women i believe it's like over 100 young women that he sexually assaulted or tried to um bully cyberbullying uh, what is it called when you're trying to use nude pictures against someone anyway it was it was it was very yeah, extortion. Exactly. It was very clever on her behalf to use her social media because I, her point was, I don't have anything to combat this situation. And she didn't feel like the government would take it seriously. So she just went to her Instagram and she created an account called Assault Police and it immediately blew up. And she was sharing, you know, screenshots from things that this guy had said to women and, and also sharing their stories of their experience with him. And eventually he got, he's in jail right now because of that. So that social media, I mean, some people would say, you know, it's, you know, public trial. And is that fair? So.
1: Yeah, it's obviously, it's a, it's a thing that is difficult to wield and, and, judge um but it's really interesting and it's really interesting how the internet is being used for these things, and I think we can safely say for quote unquote good in a time and in a very specific year when we're more concerned that it's being used for uh pushing ideas that are a lot less palatable if i'm you know being uh, uh uh, measured in the way I, I talk about it, um, I think it leads me to maybe I'm going to talk about the thing that I wanted to talk about now because it's very similar, or not similar, but it's also using the internet to uh, make to contest a an oppressive government or an oppressive uh, society, and that is what is happening in uh, Russia. Right now, which I don't know how many people have heard of in other parts of the world. Certainly in Finland, we hear about it quite a bit because, you know, obviously it's the Russian bear just next door, the neighbor. Um, but um, Alex- Alexei Navalny, the opponent to Vladimir Putin, uh, went back to Russia after having been Poisoned by Russian operatives in uh, and and having been flown to Germany uh, for to get treatment, as I'm sure most people have heard of that one, and uh, he went back to Russia fully expecting to be arrested, and he was arrested for <laughs> it's the 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 most brazen uh, ironic thing ever. He he essentially had an old manufactured. Um, uh, uh, Court case that where he was uh, judged, condemned to three years in prison, uh, suspended sentence. And they arrested him because they said he fled the country or he left the country um, and thus broke the terms of his agreement and of course he left because he was going to Germany to get uh maybe he was on his way somewhere but he was in Germany because he was poisoned by the Russian government uh and by the way he actually managed to call the operative that um that that put together that poisoning and he talked to him and got him to confess and explain everything that happened um uh, and wow. he released the tapes. That was like, it is wild what is happening in Russia at the moment. Wow. But it's it's like he called 10 or 20 people who were connected with the case. And he managed to get that one to talk by pretending to be his uh, superior officer. And it's unbelievable that the guy actually started talking. But it's been, you know, uh, a, a reliable sources are essentially verifying the, the whole thing. But... What's happening now, that was a few weeks ago, what's happening now is that he is in Russia, he's been arrested, but he knew that was going to happen, and he put together with his team of social media experts, and that's how we connect to uh, the social media, the power of social media, um, he put together a series of uh, steps in using all of this to combat the power of the Kremlin and Vladimir Putin the first step was a, a video report showing a uh, allegedly a, a palace that belongs to Putin somewhere farther in the country with ridiculous amounts of riches and a private casino and like within the palace on the border of see, I can't remember which one. And that hurt Putin a lot. And it sparked uh, this, along with the imprisonment of Navalny, uh, sparked a series of protests, which have been um, fueled by the activity of Navalny and actually his team, because I'm guessing he doesn't have access to a phone, um, where they, they even pre-recorded a video of Navalny, in quote-unquote prison, explaining with great humor what he was doing. He was saying things like, you know, I'm staying away from the windows and I'm trying to keep to myself and I'm not putting on any uh, blue underwear because he was poisoned through a blue underwear um, and stuff like that. And it's been gaining him the favor of many, many more Russian people than the base uh, Moscovite base that he was usually popular with. Um, And there have been protests and thousands of arrests in the country and protests in Parts of the country that were usually very, uh, I think we can say pro Putin, but at least who weren't voicing their discontent so much, because the status of Putin is still I mean, he's been edging towards more totalitarian uh, practices over the past five or 10 years. But initially, he was really yeah. put into power by the the in in kind of fair elections. Um, so now we don't know what's going to happen, but it's certainly been making the news in, um, in, in Finland and in France, to be fair. So that's, I guess, my main story here. Uh, Kim, you sorry, I interrupted you. You were trying to add something. Have you heard about this in Egypt or maybe even in the U.S. since of you're course, kind of, of yeah.
0: It, exactly. And I'm very curious to hear what Matthias has to say about this as well. That's certainly a big story. And and this week was the 10th anniversary of the January 25th revolution in Egypt, and people were making a connection between what he has done in terms of, you know, he, he's a bit of a revolutionary, right? I mean, he's going to be yeah. a symbol for a lot of people to, to look up to in terms of what he's doing. And, and that was the connection that people were making in, in terms of the uh, the Egyptian revolution here. Uh, where a lot of dissidents have been, you know, just exiled from the country, like, yeah, the, the chance that they're going to come back alive to, you know, potentially, you know, still fight that battle is, 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 is not really con- conceivable for the most part. Mm. Mateus, what do you think?
2: Well, this certainly was a story over here. As you said, uh, Navalny was here in Germany for treatment after he was poisoned of and it was stable yeah. enough to be blown to Germany. So there was certainly a huge story, especially since uh, the Kremlin denied that he was poisoned. And uh, doctors here in Germany confirmed in lab tests that it was actually poison and which kind of poison it was. And uh, that created a lot of tension between Russia and Germany, and also on a more local level, so to speak, uh, after he was released from the hospital, uh, after his immediate treatment, he was in recovery uh, right around here in the Black Forest, near the city where I'm living, and uh, the famous video, was, which has like what 80 million views now, he the, the one you mentioned with the uh, villa uh, Putin has and all that thing, that was actually produced around here by a film studio. Now local media is getting all crazy. Oh, the famous video it was produced here look here that's the famous company that produced it so that's uh, kind of a local uh, level but uh, yeah that has certainly made a lot of uh, headlines even though um, the whole other current COVID situation is taking precedent of course but uh, it's still made the news Mm.
1: Yeah, I think the, so we'll get to the COVID, of course, it's unavoidable, and it has been for the past year, but uh, we'll get to it. I, I just want to say, the thing I want to point out about this Navalny thing is, first of all, the courage that he has, and the the way he handles it is so, uh, like, he, he's so funny about all of it, and at the same time, doing something unbelievably brave, um, or crazy, or both, and... Um, it's the first time I think that, at least, you know, it's mostly my wife who who <laughs> gets my, uh, who who's, who tells me how these things are going because she follows Russian media and Finnish media a lot more closely than I do. Um, but it seems to her that it's the first time that things are, are shifting a little bit. Um, Putin, for a few months now, has not called him by his name Um he just calls him like the the small blogger or the little blogger, and he do, he refuses to say his name, which in turn Navalny has turned into a joke as he does everything, um, and he calls him the old man in the in the palace or the old man in the Kremlin, something like that, and. It seems that now it's working, and it seems like Putin might be losing, not his grip on, on the country, because, well, I guess he always has had the grip on the country, but at the same time, it he was always tenuous because of the economic issues, but losing the, the in the arena of public opinion... Um, which has that has never happened before. There always was uh, an elite in Moscow and Saint Petersburg, of course, who was against Putin. But something that I think a lot of people in the West don't understand or don't believe is that the majority of the country was genuinely uh, with. Putin even, or at least, you know, uh, that's my understanding, I might be wrong, but uh, even in the past few years when he was edging towards totalitarian totalitarian, uh, behavior, as I've mentioned. So now it seems that we might be reaching a a tipping point and the EU is kind of dancing around what they should do to uh, support or retaliate, um, you know, support Navalny or retaliate. And there are uh, questions about, you know, economic sanctions and stuff like that. But I think that's where we stand.
2: Also, from the outside looking in, um, it's it looks like uh, it's Putin's fight, fighting for his life, literally, because the once he loses power, he'll basically be dead uh, because of all the things he has done during his uh, reign, so to speak. But uh, another thing, because you mentioned economic sanctions, there is a huge controversy right now about uh, Nord Stream 2 is, is on gas yes. pipeline through the... Exactly. Um, uh, yeah, and uh, between Russia and Germany, and that's a huge uh, issue right now because, uh, of course, a lot of people are against even building this because of economic uh, sanctions. Just so,
1: so so people know, it's a natural gas pipeline um, that goes around the Ukraine and that allows Russia to sell its natural gas without having to go through Ukraine, thus you know increasing the the pressure they can put on Ukraine and, and stuff like that.
2: Yeah, And it also creates a lot of tensions with between Germany and uh, its Western partners because the U.S. are a, ferv- a fervent opponent of this uh, pipeline. And uh, for some reason, I'm going to say something that you won't hear any politicians say. I don't have enough information to have an informed opinion on the whole issue. But from what I read in the papers by, and, and just from what I heard um most of the people are against it for various reasons, even environmental reasons. But uh, for some reason, they still want to force it through. And a major role is uh, Gerhard Schröder, the former chancellor, uh, is now working for Putin uh, or one of the uh, gas companies in Russia, basically working for Putin. And he's also one who is favoring this thing and trying to uh, push it through. And there are a few um, politicians who really, really want to have this uh, thing happen. And uh, it seems like they're right around, uh, I I don't know, they are almost completing, almost at the completion phase. But now the economic sanctions put up by the US against the firms building the pipeline is starting to take hold. And uh, that's also something that is making the news right now.
1: Yeah, it was making the news in, in France as well. Everyone's talking about it now, which is understandable. Um, the, the last thing I will say, I think um, one worry that people have that, again, the West doesn't really understand is if Putin goes away, there's no telling what happens in, in Russia. It's not like, well, maybe Navalny now would be a candidate to replace Putin, but he doesn't have a, a stranglehold on the, you know, the apparatchik uh Uh, apparatus (laughs) he doesn't have the uh, stranglehold on the administration and corruption that's going on in russia which is still a big issue and the big worry would be if putin goes away it doesn't all of a sudden turn into a happy democracy it crumbles that's the 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 worry so i don't know um yeah kim you wanted to add something as well and then we'll go to matthias who will talk to us about covid go ahead kim
0: It wasn't so much that I wanted to add something, but I wasn't aware of the gas pipeline story. So I'm I'm very intrigued listening to you all, you know, share the information that you know.
1: Yeah, it's essentially the one pressure point that people... It, it seems like the most obvious pressure point. Um, and the US has already decided uh, for sanctions, and uh, the, the EU is kind of tiptoeing around it. And it seems like if something is to be done about the Navalny situation, that's where the pressure will be
2: applied. And To be fair, it's not to the whole EU, but mostly Germany. So we are the ones who for some reason really want that thing built and uh, all the other partners are saying, why are you doing this? (laughs) And we're now in the tough spot between the economic sanctions on one side and the economic interests of the gas pipeline on the other So uh, it, I think especially France is a uh, opponent of this thing. So it's well, not, we, not really what we do. It's mainly our fault, to be honest. We, we have nuclear power plants. And we're like, what? why do you Why do you
1: need anything else? We can just, you know, that's, let's do that. Yeah, it's easier. Of,
2: course, of course, the U.S. also has economic interest because they right. want uh, um, to sell their gas to yeah. us instead of the Russians. So that's also <laughs> something you have to keep in the back of your head if you're talking about this. But still.
1: All right. Uh, how about I, I guess COVID? Is it if we if we've talked about Navalny and Russia, the thing that remains in Germany is is COVID, and uh, I guess for the first time since the beginning of this whole crisis, what we're hearing in France as well is that uh, as at least is that Germany is not the top of the class kid anymore, and and it's like. Far from it. And until now, it was like, look at the Germans. They're handling everything well. And now not so much. Is that
2: the case there we were we weren't really top of the class it was just something we uh, said we were but to be honest there are a lot of countries who handle this thing way better and if i had to describe how we're handling this pandemic a year after it started i would say we're driving this thing over a cliff at full speed and once we have reached the bottom we're driving this thing into a wall just for good measure (laughs) that's how well we're handling i'm curious to hear why you say
1: that but i will add from everything i've heard Everything I've heard, I've heard from many people in many different countries, everyone says their country is handling it the worst, or at least their country is handling it very, very badly, and others are doing it better. But with that you know, uh, uh, introduction,
2: wh- what happened? What's happening now? Well, uh, as I predicted last summer, when every politician praised themselves for how well Germany has handled the first wave, the second wave hit us way harder. And uh, I guess it's the lack of willingness to take appropriate measures and the fact that we completely wasted the summer and didn't uh, adequately prepare for the next wave. Um, And it has all greatly facilitated the rapid increase of our numbers during the autumn And at the end of September, Angela Merkel said in a press conference that uh, we would have to be vigilant about containing the virus. And she explained again how exponential growth works. And she said, we need to be careful, otherwise we'll have 19,000 new infections per day by Christmas. And back then, every opponent of hers and all the press were just laughing at her how crazy those predictions were. And guess what? We reached those 19,000 way before Christmas because people were just ignoring basic guidelines, Maybe in part, precisely because this, we were not bad uh, hit that bad in spring, mm. and they thought, "See, it's just a lot of fuss about nothing. We don't need to take care anymore," and um, that led to a drastic increase in infections, and in turn, that lead to led to new measurements uh, measures they were taken, which are again labeled as a quote unquote lockdown, even though it really isn't a lockdown, but they're just calling that. And at first, they started again with closing down restaurants and limiting the number of contacts and households. And their motto back then was, now we need re- to really hunker down and reduce all contacts. And if we do that, we can have a normal Christmas. But uh, that all didn't work out as expected. And um, shortly before Christmas, they were actually forced to close all the retail stores uh, and shut down basically every- almost everything. So uh, when still- you
1: say... When you say people didn't take the appropriate basic measures, you mean people were in social distancing, wearing masks, uh, they were still going to work
2: and, and stuff like that? Is that what you mean? Basically. So um, there were a lot of people who were just uh, yeah, not distancing. They were gathering in large groups. They uh, The mask thing works kind of, but not always. But basically, it's... Um, no one really knew someone who was infected in spring. It, that's that's mm. a, a, a little bit over the top, but basically not a lot of people knew someone who was infected and uh, therefore they say, well, I'm not uh, influenced by that. That doesn't concern me. I can go out, I can meet people, I can go on holiday and all of that. And that um, this time around, uh, that came to bite us in the ass, basically. Mm. So um, they're... So so essentially you're kind of living your first wave
1: now, like the real first wave is now for, because what you're saying seems like what we lived through um, on the first wave, which is kind of, I don't want to say funny again, but it's kind of ironic because that's what I I was saying. And we were saying that the uh, South South, uh, Asian countries must be feeling because they had you know SARS and and these infections and they had their kind of first waves a few years ago so they knew when they were prepared and they were looking at us and and saying things that we were looking at and saying oh you dummies of course it's not going to be that bad and of course it hit us and it was so is yeah, it but- fair to say you're living through your first real I wave
2: think or that's something you couldn't say also um even though they closed down all restaurants, schools and retail stores except for the grocery and dog stores right before Christmas we are just now seeing that the numbers are slowly going down and that has a lot of people um, leading to the suggestion that the real culprit for the spread is not just public places but also the workplace but politicians Mm -hmm. refuse to really touch that uh, when they talk about new measures and in Mm -hmm. fact uh, there was a new meeting in mid-January where they agreed that employers should be urged to allow people to work from home whenever possible, and that uh, they even issued an edict uh, which would allow for more home office work. But it turns out that this is just a paper tiger because there, is a, there are so many loopholes in it, so it's not really a serious attempt. And there have already been numerous reports from people that even though employers should allow people to work from home, they re- just refuse to do so. And I remember specifically one report where an employer Employee told that uh, was told by his supervisor, I'm forced to offering you the option to work from home. <laughs> but I'm telling you right now, whoever asks for this option will be fired and can file for unemployment right away. So that's the way the, the, the employers seem to handle this because they really have this work ethic. You need to be at, in the office sitting at your desk only then you're working. Yeah. And they refuse to uh, change anything about this. And that's At least it seems that um, this is one of the main uh, ways how the infection spreads. Because um, it's not only that we're not uh, just um, implementing strict measures, it's also, it seems that uh, most of the things, most of the restrictions are mostly applying to private life. And never to the workplace and that also makes people feel like the only thing you are allowed to do anymore is to go to work then straight home sit there alone and wait until you have to go to work the next day and that's that's why (laughs) yeah but that's why people who are even totally on board with the whole thing with the whole idea the whole concept which are holding back which are reducing uh, contacts and it uh, not going out and everything and even they, those people are now losing their patience because they still have to use public transport with hundreds of people every day they have to sit in offices with a lot of people and uh, no real measures are taken there and they can't do anything anymore because they're just sitting at home doing nothing the, uh, the rest of it's, the time
1: it's funny it's uh well again it's not funny but it feels so much like some of the conversations we were having last spring. And I know you were hearing the conversations and just like we were hearing what people were talking about in, in other countries. But when it hits you, it's, it feels different. Here in Finland, we've handled it pretty well. And of course, the fact that the population is a lot less dense. In all senses of the word, um, means that we've we haven't had to go back to uh, severe restrictions yet. It might happen, but for now, it's it's managed. Um, but in France, the government has been dancing around which restrictions to uh, put in place and trying to, of course, not bring a halt to the economy before it was absolutely necessary. So they've kind of. Uh, had, a, a, you know, restrictions started in the fall and it brought down the number of new cases and now it's kind of stabilized, but it's higher, of course, a lot higher than we would want. And they're talking now about maybe another full lockdown, but they're not sure. It seems like it will happen, but I there are two things that come to my mind with all of this. First, I understand why they didn't want to implement a full lockdown uh two months ago, because if it starts now, it's going to go until May, just like last year. And if three months of lockdown was difficult, imagine what six months would have done. So I understand why they they tried as much as they could to not do it. And it's, they're still not doing it. But on the other hand, um, they have mishandled a number of things, mostly communication, but it's so difficult. Like we, there are so many things we don't know. But the takeaway is that no one, not no one. That's not true. On the internet, it feels like there's so many people who aren't happy. Just as you said, you know, we should have more, uh, more restrictive measures. When you take more restrict, restrictive measures, it feels like everyone is up in arms. And when you don't, it feels like everyone is up in arms. And I, I say it feels because, of course, it's just you hear the people who uh, speak the loudest. But I really don't wouldn't want to be in the government's position right now. I, you know, Germany seems to be handling it in a, in a specific way, uh, but many other countries you don't know what to do, and whatever you do, you're getting yelled at. It's an impossible position, and I don't know that. France... I'm not saying France is handling is handling it well. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. It seems like they're making mistakes, but. With everything, you know, the new variants and the uh, vaccines rollout, everyone is complaining about the vaccines rollout. We vaccinated in France, I'm I'm talking about France, a million people in just two or three weeks, maybe three weeks. A million people. And that's just the initial rollout. It's not nothing. It feels like, and there were many, many issues in the first few days, but a million people doesn't seem like, you know, something that you're... they only vaccinated a million people. Ridiculous. Like, anyway. I'm, I'm also yeah, curious. Um, uh, go ahead, go ahead, Matthias. And then w- I want to know uh, um, how things are going in, in Egypt we as well.
2: Vaccinations later on. But uh, one other thing, uh, I think the biggest threat, threat in terms of uh, fighting this pandemic for us is a completely different one. Because 2021 is a super election year in Germany. We have mm. six state elections and an upcoming federal election. In September, and this means that common sense and expert opinions have to take a backseat to tactical decisions by politi- politicians of all parties. So, I think that's one of the worst possible moments to have a pandemic when everyone is uh, fighting in an election campaign. Mm. So, in France, we had
1: like- a, a, um, a, a poll. Uh, in the last few days that showed uh, the far-right Marine Le Pen would be beating the current president, uh, Emmanuel Macron, in an election today. And she would get 20% of the votes in the first turn, of course. That wouldn't mean she would win win the election, but she would would be the first one. And a lot of people are pointing to it. But I'm a little bit like, I don't know if that means much, because... There isn't an election now, thankfully, unlike in Germany. And of course, in the middle of this crisis, things are going to be, everyone's going to be upset and they're going to go to more extreme, uh, you know, personalities. So I don't know that I'm taking this as anything more than the number that it is right now. Um, but let's go to Kim. How is, what's the state of the, of the, the pandemic in, in Egypt
0: Well, I haven't gotten my head around it uh, lately. Again, I I only arrived back on a few days ago, and I've been away for about uh, a little bit more than a month, which may not seem like a lot, but in COVID times, it seems like a lot. (laughs) And a, a lot happens in Egypt in a little bit of time. So I've been trying to figure out exactly what's been going on. But I know that the cases have been increasing, and I believe there is now a mandatory mask I don't know if it's a law or or what what they're they're calling it, some sort of a regulation, and I don't know what the fine is for not wearing a mask. I haven't been able to to dig into that, but you know I've been try- I have been trying to follow the situation in Cairo. I mean I I try to social distance and I just try not to leave the house, especially since I'm remote teaching. But you know following the numbers has been quite interesting in terms of. Do people, do the numbers accurately reflect what's really happening? And I guess that could be the case for anywhere. You know, like in the US, they've said similar things when people don't get tested, you know, that those numbers don't really count. But I've just found some some general skepticism to the numbers that are coming out of Egypt. And, and I'm also interested in looking at, say what, the World Health Organization, anyone who verifies Egypt's numbers, I look at them with a side eye to hmm. say, are you being complicit in this, in, in this ruse, that these numbers are anywhere near accurate? And it's not that, like I say, other countries are, are also having difficulty with accurate numbers. But I, I, find, it, I find it interesting to say that, that Egypt's numbers are what they are.
1: Me- meaning you, know, in this- you think they're testing less and reporting lower numbers? or What do you mean exactly?
0: Right. I mean, I don't I didn't even want to talk about the testing, um, but of course, they're testing fewer. And I think that is part of the problem. I mean, and, and this is all rumor. Like, and there's no way to substantiate anything here. Yeah. So, you know, people have said, yeah, they're just not testing. It's not that they're not just not testing. They're encouraging people not to take the test mm. so that the number, so that the number won't show up and increase their numbers.
1: That didn't work out so, so well for the countries that did that in the past.
0: Yeah, It, it doesn't work. I mean, I, and I don't know what they're trying to do now or what their their plan is. But they've you know, I feel like Egypt is always saying, oh, this is going to hurt tourism. Just like, you know, tourism is not the most important thing right now. But, you know, trying to tell people that their economy isn't going to tank has really, as we've seen globally, is really, you know, really. I wouldn't say threatening people, but people are really scared behind that.
1: So do you, I guess I'll ask another question. Do you feel it in your everyday life, uh, not necessarily from the past month, but since the, I guess, last year, has that been, is the pandemic in Egypt? Do you feel it or do, do you go about your life as you did for the previous 10 years?
0: It's gone through a couple of waves. You know, in March, when it first kicked in, we had a really bad rainstorm like one of the worst ever. And it really did a lot of damage. So everyone remembers that because it was at that time that, you know, the lockdown began and people were trying to figure out, okay, what is this really? Is this, you know, a real thing? So after we got through the first phase of, you know, we had curfews in place and people were adhering to them and Cairo was quiet in a way that probably has never existed ever. But then, you know, people were like, again, Egyptians get real impatient really fast and and fads, you know, go come and go, you know, at a real quick pace. So really fast. Everyone's like, hey, like, isn't this thing over? Can't we get back to our normal life? Mm. And when that wasn't kicking in, you know, people started to, you know, try to say, well, I'm going to do my own thing anyway. And, you know, companies wanted to get employees back in the office, back to work. Uh, Again, my university is is an outlier in that regard, in that, again, it's an American university, and there are some standards that we refuse to bow down to. And so that's why we're still remote teaching, and there's very little activity on campus. But I will say, by the time the summer came, people were really like, hey, we need to get, get out of this and get back to normal life. And so we saw a lot of relaxation of what was happening in the streets? Like people were out, like it's th- there is no COVID. Mm. But again, and it's also because those numbers are not. I don't feel like the numbers are accurately reflecting because people will say the numbers are low. It should be fine. It's just like yeah, but the numbers aren't really the truth.
1: But but do you so, do you see people? Are people getting sick? Are the hospitals full? Or I guess that's how you would oh, become worried.
0: I was about to tell you the the second part. So then we come back to fall semester and we're back in classes and and we're and we're dealing with you students and young people, right? So at the end of last semester, so this was November, I had so many students who were just like, yeah, I have COVID, and you know, like they can't mm. talk, they can't come to class, and it's and I'm like, where, Like, should I ask them where are they getting it from? Because and I'm like, no, they're they're socializing, and that's where they're getting it from.
1: Mm. Okay. And so oh.
0: and, and, we're, I'm hearing, and again I, I teach at a private university so lots of my students have parents or relatives who are doctors and so they also have insight of you know like what's really happening so yeah we know that people are getting it for sure and i have a colleague and she's she has asthma and she had been really worried about it and she caught it and she's like oh my god i am so suffering right now
2: mm also getting back to normal is the thing that everyone is hoping for with the vaccine as a silver bullet and uh that's also yeah i mean that's also something that is taking off right now it seems so uh, uh, yeah i I,
1: well i mean the vaccine is is literally well not literally but kind of literally the silver bullet it's just gonna take a few months it's not an instant Silver bullet. It's
0: not like you're wearing this thing and it's going to insulate you from anything. And it doesn't mean that other people can't get it. Right. Like just that, because you have the vaccine doesn't mean that I'm protected and I'm in the same space that you're in. So, the, people, of, like course, of
1: course, the, the the point is that at some point, enough people will be vaccinated. And I'm not saying now, but in, you know, six months, whatever, then that will be what, you know, what we were waiting for
2: and it will make it That is something we were waiting for and that is dealing with what we face right now but uh, think about all the different new mutations that crop up in the meantime. I mean the British and the South African variant the mutation, uh, it seems as if the vaccine is currently working against those mutations but uh, look at Brazil and what uh, that's that's a huge clusterfuck, sorry for, for saying that but it's rampant down there and it's mutating like crazy and there are even some reports that uh, a few of those mutations might not be covered by the vaccine so it's just uh, yeah uh, we don't know that we don't it will take too long Uh, uh, it's also not the silver bullet everyone is hoping for I mean if your thesis is that uh, we're going to stay in
1: lockdown for the next 10 years I don't subscribe to that I think it's going to be a while and we're going to have to
2: uh, a comment on that we need to speed up the vaccination process if we really want this thing to work. But uh, it's, as it seems right now, at least here in Germany, it's a kind of a disaster of its own.
0: Yeah, the the rollout of the vaccine in the U.S. was extremely disappointing. I know it has been politicized, and that's very unfortunate. But I sort of thought that maybe at first, I didn't want to get it, but I thought, okay, if I'm in the US and I don't know when I'm going to go back, I normally go back very frequently, but with COVID, that's not the case. So I said, well, maybe I can get it while I'm in the US since it's starting to roll out. My state, Ohio, wasn't even in my whatever group I'm supposed to be in. And they they were just having real difficulties with the rollout. And people, my parents were just avid to say, we are not getting it. And it was their turn. And I'm just, and I felt like, why is there no system in place that says if they don't want it, I can get it. If I want it. Like where there there's no wait list. I think yeah, I wait? think
1: I, I understand the frustration there, but I also think people are 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 uh, uh, you know, are not understanding all the complexities of all of this. I think it's, uh, maybe we'll talk about that, you know, the, the way things were rolled out. And and you hear those complaints everywhere, including, and that's why I was saying there was a million people in France who were vaccinated, 100,000 in, uh, in Finland in just a few weeks, as people are figuring out how to do it. I think it's, you know, obviously it's not going to happen from one day to the next, but... Yeah. Um, so before we close off the show, I do want to ask about, because you're American, Kim, so I do want to ask about, we didn't talk about um, the issues that happened in uh, January in the US on the show, or not much And we only have like five minutes left, so good luck with the entire thing. But I'm curious, maybe uh, let's take an interesting angle on this and how it was reported on in Egypt. I'm curious to hear about that. If you had been following uh, Egyptian news when you were in the U.S., and if you weren't, we can talk about something else.
0: No, we were pretty overwhelmed with U.S. news at the time. So and I'm assuming you're talking about the January 6th insurrection. Of course. And, yes, obviously. And possibly, yeah, and, and possibly talking about the uh, the inauguration as well. Those were the big January events so mm-hmm. far. Uh, I mean, I, I didn't follow the insurrection from the Egyptian perspective. Uh, I, I mean, obviously, the global outrage was there. Uh, not maybe not outrage, but everyone was looking to say, oh, my God, look at what's happening over <laughs> that cesspool over there. Look what just happened. It just blew up. Um, and it was pretty startling to watch in real time. You know, I, I was, you know, like in the U.S. in the same time zone, which is very unusual for me. And I'm just like, this is like a bad movie. But I, I don't know what the sentiment Is from the Egyptian perspective. I have a lot of former students, a lot of friends who work in media and journalism. And again, I don't feel like that gives me the pulse of of what people really think or really thought about it. Mm. I think people will say like, it's that double standard. Like the U.S. wants to point fingers at at third, you know, at other countries and and countries where they provide aid and tell them how a democracy is run and look at them, look at them now. Mm.
1: Yeah, that's a feeling I understand and and that I think is very much uh, uh, replicated across different parts of the world. The way I look at it, I talked about it in the last episode. Uh, So there are two parts. First of all, and that's going to be my personal opinion, so take of it whatever you will. Um, But first of all, obviously, Donald Trump went over the line finally. And that was rep- very clear in the way everything was handled. And I think the GOP took a gun to his head and said, okay, now you're done. Uh, you're going to be <laughs> apologizing properly because this, if not, we're actually I, I, going to. I don't,
0: I don't think they did that. I, I'm sorry, Patrick. I don't think they did that. Mm-hmm. Donald Trump runs rampant. No one tells him what to do. He doesn't follow a script. He's just rogue. The only thing that he does is he he really thrives off of what his what his base wants, and his base wants him to be, you know, a white supremacist and really be in front of that? But I don't believe that the Republicans. No, they did not give him a script and tell him what to do.
1: But did you did you hear uh, his last uh, couple of uh, speeches? They were <laughs> almost almost normal. You think he did that on, of his own volition?
0: I don't think he did that of his own volition, but we can also see the delivery of that information. It wasn't with the same passion that he delivers when he's off script.
1: No, that's exactly my so, point. I, I, that's exactly I my that, point, I think. Go ahead.
0: But, but, but what I'm saying, Patrick, is like, yeah, if you give him a script and he doesn't deliver it with passion, no one believes him. We know it's he's trying to be a puppet and he's not good at that. He's only a puppet for Putin. But he doesn't what, puppet well for himself.
1: But, but I don't think he wrote this script himself. I think someone gave it to him and said, okay, now you're going to read this or we're actually going to go with the Democrats and impeach you. Because And, and again, I'm not, saying, I'm not saying they did it necessarily because they thought America was in danger. I think the GOP was feeling the, the heat and the pressure in, for the first time in, in, you know, however, four years in enabling him. And they thought it would be detrimental to them.
0: Right. the only thing is that he just wasn't, he didn't deliver it with, 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 you know, anything that we really believe that he's telling he's, he really mm. means this. Yeah. It, it didn't have any sentiment to go with it.
1: No, I agree. And people knew,
0: people knew that, people know that he's just reading words for the sake of, and his, again, his base won't believe that he's authentically apologizing for any, and it wasn't an apology. Of course it wasn't.
1: Well, I guess, but uh.
0: Can I can I spend this for a minute, Patrick? Oh, and say, please, like, please Let's do. look at the right, let's look at the inauguration. Like, thankfully, the inauguration went on without a hitch, and everyone was really, really thrilled to hear the young African American uh, poet, Am- Amanda Gorman, and that inspiration, like inspiring young people. She's 22, the first poet laureate, and everyone was just, re- I mean, the first, the youngest to present an inaugural poem. And that just really inspired a lot of people. And and to watch that in real time and, and to know that young people will be affected by that in a positive way for years to come. That was really a good takeaway from what has been a crazy long month.
1: I certainly heard a lot about that from um, my American friends. And I actually went and, and watched the um, the inauguration speech and uh, the poem. Um, I think it doesn't speak to me on the same level. Uh, probably, I would imagine, because I'm not as, uh, you know, I'm not living in the uh, uh, social division that exists in the U.S., even if I hear about it every day. Um and also, I'm not, you know, I'm an old country person. For me, uh, poems are in rhymes and not in prose. So American poetry has never done it for me. Uh, that's a lack of education on my part, I think. Sorry, Kim, you wanted to. I'm making you laugh. You're laughing at the old yes. European.
0: I love it. Go ahead.
1: Um, but but yeah, it was, it was really, I think, beyond all of that. And by the way, uh, Biden's speech almost put me to sleep, which I'm, I, I, which I think is a good thing. The the thing that happened in the past four years, or even more, and it's something that I always complain about when I talk to Americans. It's this idea that politicians are, you know, boring people who don't understand anything. When in reality, they're they're laborious people who do important jobs, and who are maybe it's boring and maybe they're boring. But what they do is what makes car drive on roads and trains run and and planes fly and the country work and i'm you know so annoyed when people look at someone who's maybe a good politician but is boring and they're like oh he's such a wet blanket or maybe that's not the right analogy
0: but you know what the the thing that we get with biden is like yeah he's predictable and and that's a you know coming off off of trump this is good this is what we want we know what we're getting with biden we're getting a one-term president and that's it but i'm very i want to know what mateus thinks about this in terms of again you're the europeans here so i want to know what's the sentiment (laughs) What's the sentiment in Germany about what's been happening in January in the U.S.? Well, we
2: have. uh, It it made the news, especially because uh, there was a kind of similar situation over here in August, because there were a lot of protests against the coronavirus measures uh, taken and in uh, Berlin, there was a huge demonstration, and during that demonstration, a lot of protesters broke through a barricade and actually stormed uh, the, uh, the steps of the uh, Reichstagsgebäude, so the parliament steps, basically. But unlike in the US, uh, three police officers with batons were enough to keep them back. So it wasn't really, it wasn't really that right. organized, I guess. But still, uh, that that um, brought back images from. Uh, last year when we saw that over here. But what you said about Biden, uh, well, that's my personal opinion, but it's kind of sad to see that the Democrats in the U.S. were so afraid of losing against Trump and so much focused on getting rid of Trump that they uh, took the most boring, plain white candidate, and I mean literally white candidate, uh, and put him on the ballot just to make sure that no one would be offended enough uh, that Trump would actually win this. This wasn't anything about ideas, anything about new... like. Extreme example, Bernie Sanders, social health, uh, social policies, healthcare, and all that. That would be the extreme where you can say, well, we choose him because we want to change things. We have ideas. We want to try something new. That wasn't anything Democrats did. They just plainly went for we need to beat Trump no matter the costs. And that's all. We need to take the candidate that is the least offensive to everybody. So we have a chance to win. That's but- how I saw uh, the uh, choosing of the Democratic candidate.
0: I find it interesting that you would take it from that perspective. And I think on the surface, that's what it looks like. But if you start to look at Biden's cabinet, like the the, the amount of young people, the amount of diversity in his cabinet is certainly going to be a change for the country.
2: I completely um, agree with you on that. The point is, uh, that's what we see now. But that wasn't the case when he was nominated. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, I, but, but... You know, I, That's uh, again. I,
2: I'm not saying he will be a bad president, or that he doesn't have enough uh, diversity or anything. That's completely fine. I'm just going after the nomination process of the Democratic Party when they eliminated the different. I mean, how many candidates were there? Twenty or something when they started out? And <laughs> you know, that's, that's,
0: I, don't, that's, I don't.
2: And you're right. I don't I'm, mind. You know, I don't you know,
0: mind when we when we have uh, Kamala Harris as the first woman vice president. You know, she's second in charge and, and the diversity that she brings to the table, African-American, Jamaican, South Asian. I, I really am optimistic about what 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 it looks like and the decisions that he's making are not rooted in just being this, you know, white male patriarchy like he has. You know, and first of all, his wife, my goodness. I mean, he, these are very independent women. We're also going to be very instrumental in helping guide the way things go.
2: I completely agree, and I'm glad it turned out that way. It, it's just mm. because uh, that's not just my personal opinion, what what I saw from the outside. Again, I'm not involved enough into U.S. politics so that I can actually weigh the candidates against each other and say uh, he might be better on this uh, issue or another. It's just the outside perspective. That's all. You know, I, I understand where you're coming from, but
1: I remember very clearly, and we talked about it on the show, um, I remember very clearly the feeling of waking up to the election results, the initial election results, where it was looking like he wasn't going to win. And let me tell you, the way I felt, even as a European who is not directly involved in American politics, the way I felt was, how could they do this again and lose to Trump again? So the fact that he won... Justifies everything, and I had the somewhat the same concerns as you did, Matthias. I think there was an opportunity, but it's interesting that you know we're two white men here talking about this, and the and the one uh, African American woman is saying, "No, it's it's awesome, it's great." Like, shut up! It's, it's perfect. but but the fact that he won is like, ah, okay, it's 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 fine, it's okay. I just don't want to have this this thing over my head and on my shoulders all the time and we don't have it it worked so the end justifies the means sometimes and and a bernie sanders candidate that would have lost or ben- bernie sanders like candidate that would have lost would have not made anything better um quite the contrary least, and so.
2: everyone over here is glad that uh, joe biden won except for of course the uh, far right who Laugh, Trump, and everything, but still, I'm not saying that Bernie Sanders, for example, would have been the better candidate. That's not my point. It's it's just the um, the way it. Looks it's just that you don't like reality. I understand, Matthias. Yeah, and also something something that you have to keep in mind: the two of us are from Europe. And we have a different uh, view on political stances than the U.S. does. Someone like Bernie Sanders, who is extremely left in the U.S., is for us just more, I guess, normal, more like a social democrat, nothing extreme or anything. So for us, from looking from the outside, we don't see this as such a big issue if he's... uh, asking for health care for all or, or or social security for all that's something we take for granted anyway so it's not that big of an issue for us and that kind of maybe distorts our view when it comes mm. to choosing candidates your view i'm happy with with biden now that he won i'm fine with him <laughs> still um, not <laughs> arguing with you about this <laughs> No, I get, it, I
1: get it. I get it. All right, I, we're we're gonna uh, end the show soon. Kim, is there anything you wanted to to add to you know the U.S. stuff?
0: No, I think we covered it pretty well. I appreciated hearing your perspectives on it. So it was nice.
1: And I'm I'm interested to hear that uh, you're happy with the way the cabinet is developing. And certainly, he's been making decisions very quickly and and taking things. You know, I'm always uh, careful to weigh the way I say things because I know that not everyone agrees on everything. And especially on this show, we try to have people who we disagree with uh, very often on the show. But in some case, when I was saying, you know, Trump went too far, I think a lot of the people that listen to the show that might have been happy that he was in place, just thought that that was too far finally. Um, But in, in the in the way Biden is handling things now, I think it's fair to say, at the very least, we understand what's happening. And that's a plus, right? Can we all agree on that? We understand what the hell is happening.
0: It's true. Yeah. I mean, and, he, and the other thing that's playing into this, and we haven't mentioned it, is that Trump no longer has Twitter. He doesn't have these right. megaphones that he has had over the past few years. And that has also quieted things where we feel like we're living a bit of a normal life where, you know, he doesn't get a chance to dictate policy on social media or, you know, like create policy. So the fact that, you know, even with Biden and his press office, that they're holding regular meetings with the press, you know, those conferences and and keeping people informed and trying to have some level of transparency, we do feel like there's a bit of normalcy that's coming back. And, 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 and he's, the way he's tackling COVID. Like, you know, he's got Fauci and Fauci's happy and, and doing press <laughs> conferences again. It's just like, yeah, the world has really changed. I shouldn't say the world has changed. The U.S. is changing right before our, our eyes.
2: Oh, the, the world has changed. we doing press briefings again. Yeah. It's,
1: and and yeah. he has a, a, a sign language, an American sign language person at the press briefings. It's I, like...
0: I, I, yeah, I was going to say, Patrick, I wanted to build on that. It's just like these little things. It's like it's not a lot, but it's like that is really meaningful.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think it is meaningful. It's not just, oh, you know, some people will say, oh, big deal. Where's the economy? And, you know, it's, it's still I think it is meaningful. I don't think it's a detail. I will say, however, I will say. Something that I said when our president, Emmanuel Macron, who I voted for, by the way, uh, in France, was was elected. And in that regard, I think I, I, I'm not sure I was happy with what happened in that specific uh, area. I will say I hope that uh, Biden doesn't forget about the people who feel feel disenfranchised and who feel compelled to go to someone like Trump. Uh, I'm not talking about the white supremacists. I I know it's a common idea or it's a popular idea on the left that they're all white supremacists. I'm pretty sure there are. I mean, we know there are white supremacists in that camp. But I think it's really simplistic to say they're all white supremacists. You know, there's 70 million white supremacists or something. I, I just don't think that's the case. And I hope that the people who are in place now... Don't forget about the people who were so desperate, so, you know, uh, uh, felt so disenfranchised that they felt it was the right thing to vote for Trump. So we have our extremes, not as extreme as Trump, of course, in, in France as well. And we need to make sure that those people feel included, even if it's not, you know, even if it's just a feeling, those feelings have consequences. And I hope they're not forgotten.
0: Yeah, I agree with you, and I don't think it will be forgotten. Biden really does seem like the kind of person who who we, we call a soft Democrat. You know, he's mm-hmm. going to try to reach across the aisle. Remember, he's a pretty much lifelong politician, and a lot of those Republican senators are his former colleagues. So he should know how to negotiate with them and talk with them. Uh, but in terms of the voters, yes, they 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 also just can't be left behind and not considered. That yeah. that was a very that was a that was a very close election, in my opinion, too close for comfort. And you have a lot of people who voted for Trump. So just because they, their candidate didn't win doesn't mean they get ignored.
1: Yeah. And I hope, I mean, the irony in all of this is that it's probably because of the economic situations that they feel the way they do. And they vote for the people who are worsening their economic <laughs> situations. Although, I mean, I say that, but it's fun. okay we really have to to conclude the show but it's really funny every time i go in the us it's like oh but the us has a great uh, employment rate and the economy the economy is going great and you look at people and you go in even in in richer areas like los angeles and and california and you're like there are people who are living on the street and they're like making a minimum, minimum, minimum wage that barely buys them food. Like it, where you put like, anyway, that's a whole other, whole other conversation.
0: Right, right. There are so many threads that we can yeah. go down.
1: All right. Well, thank you very much to both of you for being on the show. It was uh, really fantastic to have these conversations with you. Matthias, where can people find you if they want more of uh, wonderful Germany uh, politics and opinions?
2: You can find me on Twitter. The handle is at matzekult, M-A-T-Z-E-K-U-L-T. Or you can find me on Mastodon on the social, uh, on the instance chaos.social with the same handle.
1: I love that you always mention Mastodon
2: at the end there. Uh, Especially because uh, Trump was just deplatformed and that can't happen if you have a decentralized system. So go for decentralized uh, system. <laughs> that, wherever you can. There is such a huge conversation to have there. Like the, the dangers of
1: end-to-end encryption are becoming... Anyway, we'll talk about that maybe another time. Uh, Kim, what about you? Where Where can people find you on the internet?
0: Yeah, I'm usually on Twitter, Kim Fox, W-O-S-U, K-I-M-F-O-X, W-O-S-U. I'm also on Instagram at O Radio Girl, O-H Radio Girl. Uh, those are pretty much the, the two places where you can find me. I do have one quick question for Matthias. Where in Germany are you?
2: I'm in the southwest. Uh, I'm uh, actually uh, right at the French, French border in Freiburg.
0: Okay, okay. That, that's It'll why we get along
2: so much. Uh, actually, I have lived in several different towns over the years and I guess I have talked to you from all of them without you realizing it. But right now, <laughs> I'm uh, actually closest to your home country uh, I've ever been before. So. Okay. You figured I'm not there anymore. Patrick is not there
1: anymore, so it's okay to hey, get closer. I can
2: get close to the French border again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I hope to get back to the the EU soon. Maybe I'll get a chance to see you all in in real life at but, some point.
1: You know what, Kim? Once the pandemic is completely handled, in just a few months, because of the virus, right, because of the vaccines, uh, right, Matthias? Then we can get like we can have a a, a meet up somewhere. Maybe in Paris. Paris is a is a good place to have. Oh, I have uh, yeah. never been to Paris. That would be a great yeah. idea. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank you very much to both of you. I'm not Patrick, of course, on uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, everywhere. Not Patrick is the place to go to find me. And if you want to support the show, you can do so at Patreon.com/slash/ThePhiliasClub. The link is also in the show notes, um, and you can decide how much you give, how often you give. You are in control. Patreon.com/slash/ThePhiliasClub. And a huge, gigantic thank you to the people who already support the show. We couldn't do it without you. Thanks all, and we will talk to you in a few weeks for another episode. Bye.